Hi, my name's Kerry Craig, Global Market Strategist based in Australia, and I will be your host for this episode of Investors Minds APAC Edition. Thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time to learn about what's on Investors Minds and what it means for your portfolios. This podcast's usual host, Tai Hui, will be back in the next episode. However, for today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Jonathan Liang, Head of Investment Specialist in APAC for our Global Fixed Income Commodity and Currencies Group. We'll be looking at today the growth outlook around the world, obviously what we're seeing with inflation or even disinflation, as well as thinking about uh, the outlook for central banks as we head into next week's FOMC meeting and the Federal Reserve. So Jonathan, thank you again for joining us today. Let's start very big picture. Uh, resiliency is the word I see most often when we're thinking about and reading about the outlook for the global economy and what's happening. But in the fixed incomes team's view, where are we heading at the moment? Is it still recession? How are we thinking about a soft landing? First of all, Kerry, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Really happy to be here in Australia to talk about the markets and the macro environment with um, everyone. So regarding resiliency yes it is true that uh, data so far has remained more resilient than our own initial thoughts uh, since the start of this year and however our base case is that we do think a recession is still likely towards the end of this year maybe early 2024 uh, we have moderated our probability of it happening within the next six months somewhat so previously, we had a sign of 60% probability. Now it's at 55%, um, with the 5% difference now being assigned to below trend growth. So we, we are still expecting a slowdown, definitely. Uh, but I would say the timing of the recession has been pushed back somewhat. Now, you know, when we look historically, recessions in the past have tended to be triggered by the removal of cheap funding or financing, which then leads corporations to pull back on capital spending, on, on investments and hiring, which then leads to the eventual recession. So given the very aggressive nature of the current rate height cycle and the removal of policy accommodation and quantitative tightening, we have certainly been surprised that things have remained as what you mentioned as resilient as they currently are. But, you know, we think the recession this time has taken longer to arrive because of the unprecedented scale of both the monetary and fiscal stimulus during the COVID pandemic. Recall that not only was the Fed doing massive doses of QE, but the government was also issuing stimulus checks to all Americans. And so some of that stimulus is still sloshing around the system. For example, the excess savings uh, from U.S. households from those stimulus checks are still here. However, based on current trajectory, it is expected that those will completely run out by the third quarter. So we, our base case is that a recession will eventually arrive, but that um, the timing has, has been uh, pushed out a little bit for us. Yes, it is a case of thinking about all expansions must come to an end, but exactly when is a bit more of a question mark today. Obviously, some of what's helped that narrative around about maybe the US can avoid a recession has been the inflation numbers that have come out most recently. So 
the inflation figure for June, 3% headline CPI, a little bit lower than expected in terms of the consensus. Jonathan, does this mean that that recession risk is clearly in the rearview mirror and thinking about the ongoing disinflation that is expected to come through? And how do we contrast the US inflation outlook with what you're seeing around the rest of the world? In the US, we do believe that inflation is likely in the rearview mirror. As you mentioned just now, CPI continues to be moving in the right direction. However, the speed of that downward trajectory perhaps is not fast enough for the Fed's liking, and so they are still on a path towards uh, higher rates. Now, contrast that <clears throat> to other developed market countries, where other central banks generally are a bit more, a little behind the curve compared to the U.S. Federal Reserve, and so some countries' inflationary pressures may remain problematic for a little while longer. Take for UK, the UK, for example, where recent core inflation print was still running at around 7%. And so the market is now expecting the Bank of England to have to hike rates even more aggressively than previously thought. Uh, So now that also means that we think the Fed may be one of the earliest central banks that ends their interest rate hikes. Now, in another country, another major developed market country that is very behind the curve is Japan. And inflation actually is still building up. The latest print core CPI is at 3.9%, which is meaningfully higher than the Bank of Japan's target of 2%. Yet, they continue to insist on holding on to yield curve control, artificially suppressing yields in, the, in their bond markets even as unemployment is at 2.6% and the economy continues to be growing at above capacity, benefiting from the reopening that's going on there. So Bank of Japan will likely have to start to normalize their monetary policy, which they haven't even started. But um, timing there is, again, a little uncertain. So you raised a, a couple of good points there. Obviously, that divergent inflation view around the world uh, does mean perhaps perhaps a div- divergent view on where rates are heading. So we've got the, the FOMC for July coming up uh, in a week. We're obviously in that blackout period. We no longer hear from FOMC members at the Federal Reserve. The market is pretty much pricing in a rate hike. Um, what are your expectations uh, both coming out of that meeting in terms of what you think you'll hear from the Federal Reserve but also, more importantly, you know, how are we thinking about the path for policy rates in the U.S. into the end of this year and, and into 2024? So one more rate hike in July is probably baking the cake at this stage, we think. And uh, But given what we had just discussed about inflation in the U.S., we, we actually think they should stop there after July. But whether they will or not is, is another question. The, the concern we have is that uh, we think the Fed may choose to commit a policy mistake by continuing to hike beyond July in order to regain the credibility, which took a real beating in 2021, if you recall, when they were talking about inflationary pressure being transitory. And, and so because of that, because they're trying to get back that credibility, many Fed governors today are still adhering to very hawkish re- rhetoric around being higher for longer, 
hanging on to that mantra. But in some ways, this idea of higher for longer is the new transitory, in that if they continue to hike beyond July, I think later on, with the benefit of hindsight, they would have seen that they had over-tightened needlessly by going beyond July. But uh, for now, the labor markets are still pretty strong, pretty solid, and that has give, given the Fed comfort to continue to sound hawkish, continue to telegraph maybe another hike in September. But uh, we think that they have done enough, given that real yields are now positive, policy rates are now in restrictive territory, particularly if we get one more hike in July. And so the economy is slowing down, inflationary pressures are coming down. So, so we think they've done enough, but uh, the their need to regain credibility may see them hike beyond July, maybe one more in September. Yeah, I mean, the market is certainly thinking about the potential for rate cuts this year, looking at pricing. Uh, and obviously, we'll try and balance out whether we continue to hear that hawkish narrative from the Federal Reserve, given that inflation still is above their target. Um, that brings me nicely on to thinking about how asset markets are looking at that outlook of whether we see a recession or not. So just coming back to a few of your comments there, still thinking about the potential for a recession, whether it starts at the later part of this year or into next year for the US, still thinking about the prospects of a policy mistake from the Federal Reserve and that pace of inflation maybe not coming down at what they expect. You know, many asset markets aren't priced for that recession if we look at where spreads are or even the movement in uh, core government bond yields of late. You know, how do you think about positioning across the fixed income sectors given your economic views? So different segments of the fixed income markets are pricing different economic scenarios. So take, for example, you mentioned the credit markets and let's say the U.S. high market. It is true that the U.S. high market is definitely not pricing recession. Currently, yield spreads are at about 430 basis points, call it roughly. And that is certainly not pricing in a, a severe economic slowdown or even an economic slowdown for that matter. Uh, usually when there's a recession, high yield spreads will hit 800, 900 basis points. So if we do get a recession, we do think that there is room for high yield spreads to widen from where we are today. And so what we're doing in our strategies is um, we want to manage some of that potential spread widening risk. Uh, by putting on synthetic instruments that will benefit if spreads were to widen over our physical high yield cash bond positions. However, as I mentioned, not all fixed income markets are not pricing in a recession. For example, uh, the the U.S. yield curve today is still very, very inverted with um, two-year treasury yield trading in the high fours and, and the 10-year trading at the high threes. So the bond market, the core bond market is, is saying that there's a recession coming, but the credit markets are not. And so at the moment on the credit side, we are partially hedging our exposure there. That's a great segue. So you mentioned that inverted yield curve there. Uh, a very common question we're getting from clients is, you know, we, we can see those downside risks. We're thinking about the return of negative correlation between stocks and bonds. We want to increase duration and portfolios, but how far to extend along that curve? Just how much duration should investors be thinking about adding to a portfolio? 
when we both have elevated cash rates and we have that inverted yield curve, I mean, how are you thinking about where duration is best positioned? Yes, that is a great question given where the curve is currently. And it's not quite as simple as just simply extending duration given the inverted nature of the treasury curve at the moment. We think uh, to strike a good balance, we think the so-called belly of the curve, the intermediate part of the curve, say between five to seven year, uh, is, is probably the, the sweet spot in terms of gaining enough duration, but but not buying at such low yields at the longer end of the curve. So in addition, beyond just having some duration exposure, uh, we also currently have a curve steepener on because the U-curve in the U.S. cannot stay inverted forever. Normally, the U-curve is upward sloping. At some point, that's going to happen, especially if the market starts to price in that maybe the Fed is done with their rate hikes and is starting to think about rate cuts. That's when the short end could potentially rally quite a bit. So, so U-curve steepeners and having some duration that we think around five years is probably the right amount of duration at this point in time. It's important to have duration in your portfolio today because historically, if we look at the last six interest rate hike cycles, the moment the Fed pauses, when I say, and I mean pause or end the rate hikes, just, no, I'm not talking about rate cuts, just stop hiking. The moment that arrives, high quality duration historically has delivered double digit type returns, which is better than cash. I know cash rates today are very high and many clients are, are quite attracted to that proposition of, of having, having mid single digits in bank deposits, but that's mid single digit type return, 5%, let's call it. But we think bonds, once the Fed pauses, ends their rate hikes, we think is now positioned to deliver double-digit type returns, a combination of blocking and yields, as well as potential capital appreciation. Jonathan, thank you again for joining us today to, to share the insights from your team around how you're seeing the world and thinking about positioning across the fixed income sectors. Uh, just to summarize, it does seem like there is more of a question around the, the timing of that recession, but you know, eventually we will have a, an expansion that does come to an end. And while the economy has been more resilient than we had expected, perhaps a little bit less sensitive to those rate hikes that have come through, it just raises the prospect for thinking about the potential policy error from central bankers that could create uh, a potentially more negative economic outcome. Uh, and that being quite different to how some markets are actually pricing in that recession risk at the moment. It's also important to mention that we obviously think about the different inflation profiles around the world and potentially that divergent path for policy rates across developed markets as well. I think in terms of positioning, I, how I could best summarize it as being dynamic when it comes to the fixed income outlook across sectors as we think about the potential for spreads to widen and how we mitigate spread risk. And also thinking about where best in terms of duration to, to position, thinking about walking along that curve as that inverted curve perhaps starts to steepen as the market thinks about pricing for a pause. Again, thank you to the audience for listening today. If you did enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends or colleagues uh, and also consider subscribing so you get notified whenever new episodes are released. Of course, if there are topics that interest you, please reach out to your JP Morgan Asset Management representative. Uh, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you, Gary.
This content is intended for information only, based on assumptions in current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. JP Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of JP Morgan Chase and Company and its affiliates worldwide.